Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater and the moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, September 12, 2021. The share ID numbers for Friday, September 10th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,722. That's 17722. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,723. That's 17723. This morning, A Vision for You presents Steps 10, 11, and 12, Practice and Growth. The impact, effectiveness, and richness of the 12-step process is, among other things, that it offers infinite layers of depth, growth, meaning, and insights that can be excavated and revealed to those who approach the work with a sincere desire to be changed, transformed by what they experience. This can only happen when one understands that there are boundless gifts and treasures to be experienced on our 12-step journey when we submit to a series of acts and actions contrary to our natural inclination of self-will. The 12 steps are introduced in Chapter 5 of the Big Book with these words, Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed Our path. Our path is the 12 steps. The freedom and happiness as the result of a spiritual awakening are based on these 12 simple steps. With step 10, the big book tells us sanity has returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor or for us in our trigger foods. If tempted, We recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. However, the big book does warn us, we're not cured. No, we are not cured. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Steps 10, 11, and 12, describe a personal submission of our will to constant evaluation. In step 10, improve conscious contact. In step 11, and consistent thought and action in service of others. In step 12, the spiritual surgery and the healing of recovery come from continued practice and continued growth, daily actions in our lives, day after day, month after month, and year after year, as an essential part of the maintenance of our spiritual condition. 
joining us today to speak on this very topic, Steps 10, 11, and 12, is Patrick B., a recovered compulsive overeater from Minnesota. Patrick is dedicated to the trudging, the spiritual practice and growth of the 12 steps and is always eager to carry this message of recovery. And it's with great joy and great appreciation that I welcome Patrick B. to the line this morning. Good morning, Patrick. Star one to unmute, Patrick. Obviously, a little technical difficulties here. Let's find Patrick. I think I'm unmuted now, Leah. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, perfect. Sorry, Welcome. I had a no, little technical. No, it just increases the suspense. You know, that's my what phone- it does. My phone went to sleep on me, okay. so I Welcome had to, to, you, I had Patrick. to wake it up. That's Thank all right. you, Leah, for that wonderful introduction. I apologize for the technical difficulties. It's an honor and a privilege to be uh, to be able to share my experience, strength, and hope with uh, the 12 steps, and particularly the impact that um, rather grinding, repetitious, and at times very difficult application of 10, 11, and 12 have had on my life. Um, if you're not, if you're new here and, and you haven't had experience with the practice of 10, 11, and 12, um, it's okay. Um, I hope I have something to share with you about the importance of doing that when you arrive there. But the practice of 10, 11, and 12 are contingent upon the experience that we have with one through nine. Um, the the uh, the conscious contact that I have with my higher power, who I choose to call God, um, today is as a direct result of all of the combined efforts of the steps. And I think it's important at the beginning of my talk to 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 emphasize the fact that while we we will be talking specifically, or I will be talking specifically about 10, 11, and 12 this morning. It is the experience of the entire package, 1 through 12, that provides the vital spiritual experience. And for a period of time in my 12-step life, I'm I'm a member of another fellowship, and and it took me quite some time to arrive um, to Overeaters Anonymous and, and the actual practice of all 12 because of that, I had a, a, a pretty, you know, I was I was sober in AA, but I wasn't, I was I was abstinent from drinking in in AA, but I don't know that I was in real recovery. Vital spiritual experience hadn't been had because I hadn't implemented the practices, and it was when I arrived in a way and saw the need for increased commitment, increased effort, and I was held accountable to that. Um, 
it was it that's when this really began to open up for me and that this conscious contact with god um became present i would i would have you turn your big books to page 72 uh in the chapter into action and and this is the beginning of the instructions for the fifth step but this first paragraph really i think implements why we undertake the actions of this these steps having made our personal inventory what shall we do about it we have been trying to get a new attitude a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path we have admitted certain defects we have ascertained in a in a rough way what the trouble is we have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory now these are about to be cast out this requires action on our part that language is specific and clear it isn't optional it requires action which when completed will mean that we have admitted to god to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our defects this brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter so that's a reference to why consistent inventory is is important um and then if it, the what i would like to begin to share my experience with is is on page 84 um after the promises which are wonderful but are contingent upon the fact that you've actually begun to undertake your amends right and i think one of the one of the one of the things that's reported to me by the people, the, the, the men and women that I sponsor in both OA and AA, is that sometimes their, their conscious contact with the God of their understanding is lacking. It's my experience has been that, that typically there are unfinished amends. And while I know that not all amends can be made directly, I do believe that <clears throat> one of the, one of the, one of the sticking points in the 12 steps where fear can enter in and where resistance and and um and a lack of effort can be present at times for me um and for other people that i've had the <clears throat> the honor and, and privilege of sponsoring is in step nine um and it is it is it is really i think the linchpin to launch me into this relationship with God and the willingness to continue to take inventory to improve my conscious contact and ultimately to serve others. And the reason of, of, of practice and growth in 10, 11, and 12 are so important is because in my estimation, this is my observation, this is my experience, my entire purpose in this effort of working these 12 steps is to do and to be of service to you to others to those who still suffer um to those to those in my fellowship who are recovered yet need our help we we need, need the amount of work that goes into just organizing this call on a weekly basis seven days a week a vision for you is available twice a day and i know many people are involved in that effort that level of service and commitment and willingness to to make available um, this gift of this beautiful gift of, of of recovery and redemption and and power that that the still suffering 
addict out there might be. And, and if you're there and if you, you know, if you're out there on this call and you're there, you're here on day one, welcome. Welcome. You have begun to embark on a, on a journey that has provided me with countless immense gifts that, that go beyond my ability to describe them in my life. The one thing that came clear to me in working the steps is that I have a clear defined purpose and it's this. It is to be available and to share at any opportunity the gift that, that having a relationship with a God of my understanding and, and, and the foundational principles of the, of the 12 steps in my life, the, 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 the effect that that can have on, on who I become as a human being. Um, so on page 84, after the promises, it says, uh, this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we take personal inventory and continue, continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. Vigorously commenced. To my knowledge, the word vigorous is only used in, in two places in, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it is in both times, it is in reference to the action of inventory. Um, if, if, if we look in, in, um, in how it works, um, it says, next we launched out on a course of vigorous action. And, and now here we hear that vigorously. So I, I'm, I'm relatively convinced that the authors of this book are emphasizing vigor in doing inventory for a reason because it's critical because that without consistent application of of the tool of inventory that we have here i'm probably going to revert to my untreated state and my untreated state may not immediately result in me reaching for the food but what I will do is suffer internally, and my behavior can can resemble that of an active addict without the actual substance being in place. The big book on page 52 in We Agnostics, there's a paragraph in the middle of the page that refers to the spiritual malady that we suffer from. Um, it, it bears it bears quick review. Um, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems, not my food problem, but my human problem, this same readiness to change our, my point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. So even if you've reached a point of being, you know, abstinent from overeating, how much of this is currently present in your life is a consideration that my sponsor asked me on a pretty regular basis. Is any of the malady present? That's what, that's what my, particularly my AA sponsor will ask me, but my OA sponsor will check in on this regularly as well. And I read my 10th step to my OA sponsor every morning on my call. Um, we were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of help to real other people. It was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight. Of course it was, and that's a reference to the previous paragraph. But those lines, were we having trouble with personal relationships? We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey. One of the considerations there is, is am, I, am I currently experiencing that in my life? And if so, 
what actions would 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 can I take to to help resolve that? Well, there's a level of accountability and responsibility um, that comes with working the steps. It's not as 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 somebody once said to me, are you living on the dinner that you had two weeks ago, or will you have to will you have to have dinner today? Um, we need this spiritual action in our lives to continue to fill our cup, so to speak. Um, you know, the, I've often heard the, the 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 malady that we suffer from in 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 addiction referred to as the hole in the soul. Well, how am I filling the hole in the soul? Um, because I can I can put the food down, but then what? My problem starts when I put the food down. I wish food was my problem. Now, food had become a problem. But initially, it was my attempt at a solution to solve my internal dialogue, that which was wrong with me, that feeling of uselessness, that feeling of lack, that deficit in my life, that feeling of not belonging. Um, so if we look at step 10 on page 84 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, we read that. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the class. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Specific direction here. Continue to watch for four things. Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. And this is the piece that I see many of the the people that I have worked with in the past, and I have certainly been been subject to this myself, we discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. It is one thing for me to seek out this inventory, to ask myself, am I selfish, dishonest, resentful, or fearful? But will that fear or, or resentment keep me from reporting that on an accountable level and, and accepting the feedback I might get on that. This is where sponsorship is critical. I need spiritual advisors. I need sponsorship. I need people who are willing to give me the truth in an unabashed and unfettered way so that I re may remain free. Now, that truth I hear may disturb me. And it's likely that something that comes out of my mouth on this call this morning may disturb you. I would ask you to look at what's being disturbed, not who is disturbing it. My, uh, I've had people in my life in, at various times in my, in my early recovery who were willing to ask me questions like, is it possible you're in more trouble than you think you are? And, and who would you know, listen to my response and say, is what's standing between you and, and a good quality of life an opinion about an experience you haven't had yet? You know, when I was when I was asked to begin a meditative practice, I just I poo pooed it out of hand. I just, huh, that stuff doesn't work. And the man that was sitting in front of me very quickly retorted, "Based on what experience are you are you giving me that?" Because the truth is, is what I had was was no was a, was a was a was an opinion about something I hadn't actually tried and that man informed me that that was arrogant 
which offended me greatly. I was a violently sensitive man in the beginning of my recovery. Um, and I would have told you that that wasn't the case because I was living in this delusional state of mind that the first 43 pages of the big book talks about. There's 43 pages dedicated to step one in this text. I think it's rather important that we have a foundational understanding of that. And I will say this before I delve a little more into 10, 11, and 12. Any resistance you may experience in to, to taking any action of the step or any direction that's in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is always and forever, in my experience, connected to step one and your willingness to believe that you can control when you'll pick up food and how much you'll eat when. So it's, it's, it's very, been very evident to me that I have to have an experience with step one that motivates the, the actions of two through 12. Um, in other words, I had to eat my way into OA and I had to be utterly convinced and have to be reminded that I'm absolutely powerless over when I'll pick up and how much I'll pick up. And that's indicated in the italics on page 24. I have no effective mental defense against the first bite. Well, if it's against the first bite and I have a physical allergy or trigger foods, I, you know, that's a pretty hopeless condition. So the maintenance of my spiritual condition is critical. And my resistance to that fact is rooted in my idea that I can control and manage my condition. Um, this is not an overnight matter, back to page 84. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Well, when I'm new and that concept is introduced, that, that's like, what? Come on. Um, because I wanted to work all 12 steps and just go free. I, I didn't, you know, my, my sort of naive notion at the time was, is I'll be all better. Well, I can report to you that my experience is, is that that's when the trouble started uh, for me. It's, it's, it's been a bit of a rodeo in my life and my recovery. There are some people on this call who are aware of some of those rodeos, uh, physical and, and both and, and, and spiritual and mental as far as that goes. So um, we discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Where do you stand with that direction today? Love and tolerance of others is our code. Are you loving and tolerant of, of all? And that doesn't mean that you invite BS into your life. It just means that in a loving way, you can tolerate the fact that people are going to be different. You can have healthy boundaries. We have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. How much stuff did you fight yesterday in your mind? See, that the whole purpose of these exercises is, is us to, to remove us from our thinking mind and to, to get us into our, 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 our God-directed soul. The small, still voice, the third, the third opinion, as I like to call it, the, 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 little, the little nudges and notions I get about this is the right thing to do, and then my mind overrides that, and I'll do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in, in liquor, in our case, food. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. 
and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see our new attitude toward food has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I don't have to avoid anything anymore. I have a plan. I have this spiritual awakening which will allow me the willingness to prepare and to plan for situations in which, you know, food may be present. We have not even sworn off and said the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Keeping in fit spiritual condition is a qualifier and a condition to, to the food obsession remaining removed. That means that discipline and committed effort are required. Uh, it is easy to let, it, let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are trouble. We are headed for trouble if we do. For alcohol is a subtle fool. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. There it is again. The emphasis on contingent on our spiritual condition, fit spiritual condition. The language on this page is very specific and clear. We got to work out spiritually. We have to go to the spiritual gym. Um, every day is a day when we must carry the vision. What? what wait, what? Must? Wait a minute. It's not optional? Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. See, I, I spent a lot of years parsing that. <laughs> I'll carry the vision of God's will into this activity, but over here in this little compartment that I like to keep, I'm going to I'm going to keep the vision of Patrick's will. And all that happened to me is that I got sober in one fellowship and, and put on 175 pounds after a triple bypass. Another life-threatening condition enters into my life almost immediately, this, 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 this food obsession. Uh, and again, if you'd have asked me at that time when that was happening, how I was doing, I would have reported to you that all was well because I wasn't drinking. And I was in the grips of another deadly illness, and I was not spiritually fit. I was claiming spiritual fitness because I'd memorized the first 164 pages of this book and could stand at a podium and parrot, parrot to you the right language. But if I looked at my life the other 23 hours of the day, I wasn't applying it. This practice is about what I do when, when no one is observing me. This practice is about the actual relationship I have with God and the willingness I have to do to execute his will, no matter how uncomfortable that may be. Because doing the right thing is sometimes very comfortable and rewarding, but it is sometimes very difficult and challenging. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, if we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us, to some extent we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further. There's another one of those musts, and that means more action, and there's that word again. 
I have to take action. I have to have a practice. They're introducing us to the idea that a practice is necessary. Remember, fit spiritual condition, daily inventory. Um, this language is very clear. They're giving us, I had a, a, a mentor uh, who, who called these strict spiritual disciplines. And everybody in the room, every time he say it from the podium, everybody in the room, as soon as that word strict come, you could see people just shift in their chair and twist and turn and, and twitch. Because and, I don't know about you, but as, as an alcoholic and a food addict, you give me anything that involves strict discipline and I'm out the door. Whoa, wait, wait a minute. That's a little more than I signed up for. I just want to put a plug in the jug and keep the cake in the fridge. Hey, come on now. Wait a minute. I got to, what? Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. And this is where I fell short consistently for a long time, many years into um, recovery. I would consistently fall short on the daily practice of meditation. I was more than happy to pray. Um, And prayer had profound effect on my life. It granted me willingness. It kept the channel to my uh, uh, my higher power open. But for too long, I treated God like a vending machine that I would put my prayers into the, into the coin slot and get what I wanted out of the bottom. And I found out in, in very sort of uncomfortable, difficult, and challenging ways that that's not the way this relationship works. For me, the practice of breathing mindful meditation is when I can listen to what my higher power has for me. It removes the thinking mind and puts me in touch with that which is going to save my life, first of all, grant me the power to go to 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 operate in in in, in life with some principles like love and compassion and understanding and kindness and willingness and commitment and effort and words that are antithetical to my to my ism. It would be easy to be vague about this matter, but we believe we can make some valuable and definite and valuable suggestions. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. One of the things I was taught to do is to do this before I went to bed, because when I go to bed, I want to go to bed. Now, this might not be the case for everybody on this call, but this was my experience. You put me in the bedroom, sit me on the bed. Guess what, kids? I'm ripping those covers over and I'm going to sleep. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. So when I begin to do this is when I retire from my daily activities. Like you know, I throw the the towel over my shoulder from drying the dishes. Maybe I'm gonna go watch the ball game. I'll take that window between whatever activity I'm going to engage in. If I'm gonna read a book or something, I will take 15 to 20 minutes in between, sort of that last act of the day before I'm gonna retire. Sit down, right? Um, and I ask myself these questions. And I do this with pen and paper. I was taught how to do inventory in, in, in step four. There's a clear diagram. I have a four-column inventory it, it, at my disposal. I have a, a, a tool at my disposal. So I do this daily. And, and guess what? Sometimes the page is blank when I ask myself, was I resentful? Was I selfish, dishonest, or afraid? I, I, you know, 
the, the wonderful thing about being using this tool isn't that I'm going to find all these negative aspects of my humanity all the time. The beautiful thing is it's going to illuminate the power that God has brought into my life to make me better. And it's going to give me, I see this, this, this practice as a sentinel, a guard at the gates of my soul. It stands ready to repel that which will kill me. Because if, 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 you, if you really believe what this book says, resentment is the number one offender. It kills more alcoholics than anything else. It will not be the food. The food will be the instrument of death, but it will not be the cause. The cause will be that which brought you back to it the thinking mind and the thinking mind lives in selfishness and dishonesty and fear it will lie to you and tell you that 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 hating that one person is okay because they're so vile and they did such a nasty thing to you i was raised in an alcoholic home and witness to and victim of things that no child should be witness to or victim of and i live in profound loving forgiveness for all of those who committed those acts. And I was able to access that here. And without it, I don't know what kind of a man I would be because I repeated the mistakes that were, that were committed on me. I was a violent man when I was young and in, in the midst of my drinking and, and, and binging on food. And I, I, can, I can report to you that that isn't present in my life anymore. So we have these directions where we kind we have these questions and I just answer these questions. This is my 11 step practice. I answer these questions in, 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 in this paragraph. It's fairly simple. I do it with a pen and paper in hand. Do I owe an apology? No. Have I kept something to my, or myself? So I, I, I have this practice and over time what I see, and I'm going to use a reference from someone that I, that I really appreciated um, in my, in my AA fellowship is a man named Howard P and, and, and and Howard would 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 say that when he came to recovery, he was a sharp stone in the bottom of the stream, and that if if you stepped on him um, to get across the stream, he would he would cut your foot. In other words, he was he was you know angry and 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 selfish and dishonest when he came. And what the stream of, of, of recovery in the 12 steps and a, and a relationship with God did was round all those sharp edges off and make him a smooth, flat stone that, you could, that, a, that someone else could use to cross the stream. And I hope you get the metaphor that, that what he became was something that instead of hurting people, was helping people. And that's certainly been the case in my experience here is that what this, these, this practice of these spiritual principles in my life has put me in a position to do is to be of service to countless human beings. I, I get the opportunity to do these kinds of things a fair amount, which for a guy who was stumbling around the 2015 AA convention at nearly 400 pounds dying of type 2 diabetes, is nothing short of a wholesale miracle. I will stand 
and argue with you about the existence with God endlessly because I am a living, breathing, walking, talking example of the power of God. I am not on this call without these practices being present in my life, without this power that it has allowed me to access. This is real. It works. It is not just something that we get on the phone and talk about to make ourselves feel better. This power has made me better. And I, that's another misnomer about recovery. We're not always here to feel better, although that is a manifestation of this power for sure. I do feel better. But what it has done for me and with me is make me better. A better person, a better, a better, a better son, a better brother, a better uncle, a better employee, a better friend, a better sponsor, and a better human being, and a man who can stand in front of a mirror and smile at what's reflected back on an almost daily basis. Uh, were we thinking of what we could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? I've been able to pack a lot of really cool things into the stream of life. Um, I have an upcoming opportunity that, that may be adding to that. Um, I'm in a period of transition in my life, and I'm welcoming it with open arms. I used to welcome, I used to be so afraid of these big transitions that, that life can throw at you, and now I'm just, I'm just. Somebody asked me how you doing, and I, I looked at him and I said, it's just another opportunity for God to show off and to prove to me how omnipotent His power can be in my life. And it's not without difficulty, and it's not without challenge. It has those aspects, but it is. When you trust this power implicitly and give your whole life over to it, as we do in step three. And by the way, if, if you've been resisting any of this work and you're experiencing some challenges, I hear this in recovery a fair amount. And I just like to comment on it. I'll hear people say, I took my will back. I don't think you get it back. I think if you give it over to God in, in step three, the difficulty comes from resisting God's will, not from taking your will back. I don't think you get your will back. I think God's will is present in your life. And if you resist his will and try to go your own way, that's when the, the difficulty starts. That's when the challenge starts. If you've got unfinished amends, if you're, if you're not willing to, in, in step six, as the book asks, you know, uh, if we still cling to something we won't let go, we ask God to help us be willing. If you're not asking for the willingness to change, then, you know, what are we here for? I mean, if we're not here to change, what are we here for? I, I wish it was just about putting the food down. I really do. I wish, I wish, I, I, you know, it, 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 it well, no, I, I don't actually wish that because of what I've been given I've been given so much more. But at the beginning, I just wanted it to be about, let me just put the food down and lose the weight so I don't die. On awakening, uh, after making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and require what corrective measures should be taken. You know, this, 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 when's the last time you really asked God, what corrective measures can I take today to, be, to, 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 to seek your will better? To have that conversation, right? On awakening, we think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. 
especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance for after all God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. This is true in my life. And it took a long time for a, a, a practice. What I had to begin to understand is that my practice has to have fidelity. I have to be willing to be consistent and effortful and committed to it. I, I can't resort to it. I think in, in, in the 12 and 12 bill says God can't be a, a Bush League pinch hitter in my life. I have to access this power upon awakening. Um, so I have, a, I, I have a little routine I do before I leave my bedroom in the morning. Um, that that's something I do, and then I you know I get my day started. I put the coffee on, or you know I, I I do my thing, get cleaned up, get ready for the day, and then I have a period of of prayer and meditation, of of sitting meditation and prayer before I leave the house. Which means that for me, the the actual logistical practice of this begins at 4:30 a.m. every day. Now, I, I'm not telling anybody to get up at 4.30 a.m. I'm reporting to you that as I stumbled through this process for many years of trying to, to, trying to find a, a, a committed discipline to this, what I landed on was giving myself the opportunity by getting up early enough before I need to leave for work to have a window of time that is sufficient to have a relationship with an entity. And, and, and here's something I'll, I'll, I'll say that was that was helpful to me that I that I heard in a big book study I did a bunch of years ago. The difference between knowing God and having a relationship is this: I currently know who the president of the United United States is. I I know where he lives. I know he's married. I know he's got a cool helicopter and flies on a cool plane. I see his face on the news. I know his name. I know he he, he you know he's got a dog. I know some details. I know some stuff. I hear things about him, whatever. It doesn't mean that I have a relationship with him. So I can know God, but do I have a relationship? Because I'm here to tell you that in that third step prayer, it says build with me, not for me. So that third step is connected to my, my 11th step in the fact that I have to participate in this relationship. I'm sure most of you out there may have had an experience with a relationship, or many of you may have had a relationship that didn't go well. And if you look back, could you have participated better? Sure. Could the other person have too? Yes. But quality relationships require work on both ends. And I'm here to tell you that God's always been present in my life. I didn't find God when I came to recovery. God had found me long before I got here. And that's why I'm here, because he had a clear defined purpose for me. And that purpose um, is, is in step 12. That purpose is in this chapter, working with others. Um, the further instructions for step 11 are on 86 and 87. Um, it's, it's, you know, that, that the bottom of 87, it says, as we go through the day, when we pause, when agitated or doubtful, asking for the right thought or action, we constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. 
humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. We are then in much, late, much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, or worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. You know, ask yourself, how much excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions have you made recently? Has that been present in your life? I, I hope it hasn't been, but if you're anything like me, I, I, at any given time in the past 17 years, I could, I could report to you that a lot of that was present. And, and God has removed much of it. And then this last paragraph on 88. We alcoholics are in discipline, so we let God discipline us in this simple way we have just outlined. But this is not all. There is action and more action. Faith without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. And then we come to the, the, to the culmination of the reason we work these steps, which is in working with others in step 12. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fails. Remember, they are very ill. I'm here to tell you that if you're, if you're in a 12-step fellowship and you are not engaged in the act of service to other members, and specifically, I believe, this is my personal observation, one-on-one -on -one sponsorship. Remember that when Bill started this thing, there was no, none, none, of, none of the structure that currently exists existed, and that what he did was seek out one-on-one -on -one contact with other alcoholics, and it took him six months to find Dr. Bob, but when he did, they found another, and then one, one by one, little by slowly, one-on-one -on -one contact, right? And yes, they would go in groups and, and meet, meet up and, and invite people in. But typically, the, the, you know, sort of the model of sponsorship sprung up. And it's just, it's critical to me to be, be willing to sponsor people in both my fellowships with, with boundaries, with time considerations, with all that healthy stuff that I get from my sponsors, right? to do that. Um, the entire chapter, you know, there's two subjects that they spend a fair amount of ink on in this book. One is step one, and the other is, is this. There's an entire chapter dedicated to the um, how to help other, other sufferers, fellow sufferers. I read it at least once a month so that I'm in tune with with the thing, um, and and I will say that that you know one of the one of the things that has been um, very helpful to me is is there's a there's a quote in here somewhere I'm looking for it now about disturbing you on the subject of alcoholism. Um, you know, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who are never realized their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. Are you willing to have that hard conversation to look somebody in the eye? Because this is what happened to me. A courageous, loving, kind, committed, effortful, disciplined member of Overeaters Anonymous looked me right in the eye 
in the middle of a OA international convention and stuck her finger in my wound. She told me that I was full of BS if I thought I was in recovery. And that what I what was happening is is that I was dying of the spiritual malady manifest in a different form of alcohol, which for me at that time was food. And without that responsible willingness to have a hard conversation with a still suffering addict, I'd be a dead man. And I know that that sounds rough. I'm aware. But she saved my life by challenging me and putting me in a position where I had to examine what I was doing. I knew OA was out there. I'd been around 12-step fellowships long enough, but I had poo-pooed it. Ah, I'll get this under control. And so my disease is killing me in the middle of a 12-step fellowship. I'm dying, telling you that I'm okay. And without that responsible conversation, I got 12-step. Now, if you think you're a little weirded up, little, a, little, a little strange, I want you to hear this. I got 12-stepped into another 12-step fellowship at an international 12-step convention. <laughs> so if you think, you know, I, I, you're welcome is what I'll say to you. Welcome here. Welcome. Because that's that that was my welcoming committee committee into another twelve step fellowship. And if you think what was on my agenda at eleven years downrange from a drink and eleven years sober as a member of AA was joining another twelve step fellowship, I'm here to tell you that that wasn't on my agenda. That was not what I was looking at, but it was what was needed. It was God's will for me, and and it was interesting because about. About three weeks after I began my my journey in OA, I had one of my little AA guys say to me. He he watched me bring out uh, uh, one of my my uh, my uh, my my food items, and it was very carefully packaged. And and he said, "What you doing there?" And I said, "Oh, I'm a member of OA now, so I have a food plan that I follow. I have to eat at a certain time." And he said, um, <laughs> he looked at me. He said, "Oh, I know what that's about." And I looked at him. Now, mind you, this kid's like three years. Three, three, three weeks sober, or three days sober for all I, I for I don't re- actually recall. But he was very young in sobriety, and he said that's about you helping more people. And I realized in that in that moment that all God wanted me to do was execute His purpose more and with others. I was. I was pretty responsible for sponsoring men in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Even in the midst of my suffering with food, I, I had I had done much good there. God had used me to do much good. And I realized that he just wanted me to have another journey. And it took all the it took much of the pain of the suffering away. And I realized, okay, let me follow his path here and see where it leads. And where it leads is here with you on a Sunday morning, sharing the the, the beautiful loving, compassionate power of my God to tell you that there is always hope. There is always recovery. There is always forgiveness and love and redemption available if you're willing to seek and willing to give committed 
disciplined effort to this work without regard to how it makes you feel. And I don't mean to disregard your feelings or to discount your feelings. I say if you can set aside the discomfort that you may have on the spiritual path, what you will experience is freedom. Freedom from the bondage of self. Freedom from the bondage of addiction. And freedom to go out into the world and to be whatever and whomever you and God decide you should be. I am honored to be in your presence this morning. It is really a gift for me to be able to do this. I don't take it lightly. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to any questions that I can maybe answer, and I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick, for this powerful, thought-provoking, and no-nonsense presentation on Steps 10, 11, and 12. Always appreciate your delivery. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Patrick's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. The share ID for this morning's presentation, 17,731. That's 17731. And we will now transition to a question-answer segment with Patrick. You can pose a question, questions only, by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Jennifer A. Cynthia C. Roz R. Liz B. Nancy M. Cynthia C. Christina J. Janice P. M. Okay, let me tell you who I have. I I missed a few. Um, I have Jennifer H, Jennifer C, Roz R, Cynthia C, Janice P M. Who did I miss? Uh, um, Christina J. Nancy M. Nancy M. Christina, oh. did you get me? Later? Yes, I indeed I did. Yes, thank you. This is the list. Jennifer H., Jennifer C. Razar, Cynthia C., Christina J., Janice P.M., and Nancy M. That's a good list. Let's get started with Jennifer H. Everybody else, please mute. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate um, your speaking and the fact that you did not belabor the past. My question is, uh, if you are willing, could you speak a little bit about how the God of your understanding and your working the steps is helping you with the transition you alluded to, uh, because there are probably many of us in some kind of transition. Mm. Um, but I would like to hear the nitty gritty uh, to the extent that you're willing to share how you've been helped. Absolutely. By this program. Sure. Thank you. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a position, I'm uh, uh, 62 years old um, and I am um, seeking new employment. And um, I have an opportunity that's going to transition me from Minnesota possibly to Florida, which on, on the surface to many of you sounds like exactly the right thing to do just, just because of winter. But what I will say to you as far as the nitty-gritty aspects of it, the way God is helping me is to not project the future. Um, one of the, the most effective things that my relationship with God has given me is to not live in the wreckage of the future. Um, and to not disregard the experiences of the past, but to see them in a kind and loving light 
as simply learning experiences. So it keeps me in the present moment, and I don't anticipate uh, possible difficulties or possible successes that aren't living in existence right now. It keeps me in the here and now. Um, and the challenge of this transition for me to, to, to get to some of those details is, you know, I've lived in the same place for 62 years. I have deep, profound, meaningful relationships, but this is also a dream of mine. Uh, this position is, is really sort of a culmination of my experience in social services for the last 15 years. I've, I've, it's a leadership position. Um, it, is a, is, it is with people who I deeply respect um, and love. Uh, and and um, it is Florida. I'm not, I'm not going to kid you. I have some health conditions that would probably um, do better in warm climates. Um, I have chronic neuropathy due to the type 2 diabetes that I had when I was overweight. That is now in full remission as a result of my membership in Overeaters Anonymous. But um, that being said, it, 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 there's many attractive factors. So what the, what the meditative practice is, it does for me in the prayer and then the, the especially seeking guidance from from you know people I trust um, I have a little team of people that I that I have I have a, my sponsors obviously and a couple of spiritual mentors I have a therapist I have a financial guy I have a little squad that advises me on these things um, and and I think if, if if you know what I just said having that little squad and being willing to listen to what they say is another factor that my relationship with God really has there uh, it's a big deal for me to be able to listen and to act on what I'm given um, without regard for how I may think or feel or have an opinion about it. You know, um, I think to sum up the, to it, 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 my relationship with God keeps me from having an opinion about experiences I haven't had yet. I don't have contempt prior to investigation. I have an exploratory spirit. I'm willing to go out and say, hey, let's try this. And, you know, if I fall flat on my face, whatever, God will pick me up and dust me off and, and use me to, for, for another purpose. So, yeah, that's my answer for you. I hope it was helpful. Thanks, Jennifer H. Jennifer C., your turn. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Jennifer C., star one to unmute. Okay. Roz R., star one to unmute. Roz. Uh -huh. I'm here. This is Roz R. Thank you. Um, Patrick, that was a... Fabulous, powerful share. I'm so grateful that I got to hear you today. Um, I have um, two questions that I'd like to ask you. One, I'd love if you would share your morning routine that you do. And the other is, when you started meditating, how did you actually uh, get yourself, um, how did you start, you know, with how much time you spent and was it a regular basis? I would love to hear both of those things. That, sure. Uh, Thank you sure. so much. Sure, of course, Ross. Yeah, the, the logistical, practical aspects of, you know, where do I fit this in? Because we've got these busy, active, you know, you, you, you get into recovery and, and life gets busy and, and, you know, it's all wonderful stuff. And, and then all of a sudden I'm in the middle of all this wonderful stuff and I resent the fact that I have a life. Um, so I, I, I have to implement 
some practices to to access my spirituality and my the God of my understanding. So the way that that practically looks for me and what I've landed on, and Grant, you know, this is many years in, many, many, you know, trials and starts, but what has appeared consistently for the last five years is this. I arise at seven at 4.30 every morning, seven days a week. Um, that is something that just simply works for me biologically. I get to bed fairly early. I only require about six and a half to seven hours of sleep. I am well rested when I rise. Um, so I rise at 4.30 every morning. Um, I say, I, I, I do some quick prayers. I, I hit my knees and do the third step prayer. Um, and then I have a little prayer that I work with. It's very private between me and the God of my understanding. And I encourage people to do that. Have a private prayer with your God, just something that you and he share or her or it, whatever it may be. Um, and and then I, uh, I I go about my business. I get typically get in the shower and do the things I need to do, and I prepare a little bit for the day. Um, I have my breakfast. I'll, I'll I'll you know have a cup of I'll, I'll get a cup of coffee ready. I typically don't try to not ingest coffee before I I pray and meditate because I find myself in a more agitated state if I do. Um, the mind seems to to operate a little faster. So then I sit, and I have some readings that I do. Um, and the way I started my meditative practice was, was and, 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 you know, this is, it, I actually used the Insight Meditation app. There's a bunch of free meditations on there, guided meditations. And I started with, this is six years ago, I started with learning how to meditate. I used guided meditations for probably a year and a half um, until I was consistently able to sit and and be present with breath um so it it in and so what i what i would encourage anyone on this call to do if you're wondering about how to begin this or how to be more consistent seek out teachers there are retreat centers i've been to the to the local buddhist retreat center here it's free for me here it's free they will sit and teach you how to meditate i mean people have been you know there are cultures in this world that have been using meditation for thousands of years. There is a, a wealth of human experience around this practice out there. Seek it out. Find something that works for you. What works for you may not be something that works for me. What I do may not work for you. But being on the path and being willing to discover and not being attached to any methodology or time. As far as the amount of time that I spent initially 10 minutes seemed to be a good window for me to practice. 10-minute guided meditations helped me to establish a practice. I can tell you now that my meditations typically range somewhere between 10 minutes to sometimes 30, depending on how deep I go and where I go. Um, I would say sort of the median there is 15 to 20 typically. Um, I do have every once in a while, I will open my eyes and 30 minutes will have passed in deep meditation. Um, and and so, um, but it is something that's developed. It's something that, and, and here's the other piece. I am accountable to an individual through text that I have completed that practice on a daily basis. Seven days a week, I send a text to another individual who is on this path with us um, stating that I did that. For me, I, there is no practice in these 12 steps that if I am not highly 
slightly uncomfortably accountable to that I will perform regularly. I will resist and bail on it if I'm not accountable to someone about it. That's just that's just me, might not be you, but I have found accountability to be just a wonderful uh, tool to, to get me into some um, practice that has commitment and fidelity and results. So that's what I have to share on that. I hope it was helpful. Thank you, that was so helpful. Thanks, Razar. Cynthia C, star one to unmute. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you, Patrick, this is Cynthia C. Um, I'm deeply grateful that I happened to get on the meeting this morning. It wasn't in my plan. Um, and I, I really, Patrick, appreciate you're talking about the importance of the 11th step, 10th and 11th and 12th step, because I do find, I do agree with you that when I don't do my 11th step, um, then I'm in collusion with somebody, something or someone. So, and he kind of, I guess, answered part of my question in the previous, uh, with the previous caller, but... You know, I do find, even though I know that I need to do my 11th step, that I let life get in the way at times. My kids mm. are home. The dog needs to go out. My husband needs me for something mm. first thing in the morning. You know, my schedule has changed. It used to be I'd get up first thing, and I would have an hour to do my 11th step. And I guess, I mean, maybe you're going to say that accountability is what helps you, but I guess I'm trying to, like, like how have you dealt with, I, I, I just feel like, you know, I, I had an issue last week, and it's because I wasn't, I wasn't keeping to my routine, I guess, because my mm -hmm. life has changed so radically. So mm -hmm. you could share anything about that. I, w I would love that. Oh, I can, I can share oodles with you. I've, I've gotten this question just, just a bunch over the course of the last 18 months because for obvious reasons, um, you know, people's routine changed. You, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to the office every day. I've got an hour before to meditate. Now I'm at home with the kids and I'm trying to educate. I mean, you know, the world turned on its head in many ways. So lots of disturbance to, to routine practice. Two things. Don't forget that you have a God of your understanding that you can ask for guidance here, right? Step six, if I still cling to something, I won't let go of my my idea of what it's supposed to look like, right? we ask God to help us be willing. Or what are you willing to look at as far as where you can put this into your life? Um, typically, what I have to do is ask for the time. Um, and now, I'm, you know, I live by myself, so it's relatively easy for me to find that. That being said, in a busy human being's life, what I, what I, what I advise is to just have a sacred window. 30 minutes that is absolutely unnegotiable for you and your relationship with God. And that might be at 11 o'clock at night. It might be at 4.30 in the morning. It might be at noon. I have found I had a period of time in my recovery where, where I would take part of my lunch hour as a meditative space because that's where it fit best into the day. And I still take time every day midday. I take 10 or 15 minutes to do a quick check-in inventory and maybe some prayers, you know, and every once in a while I'll just do five minutes of breath too. Where the window is isn't as important as that the window exists, right? So where is that sacred space for you and your relationship with God? For two reasons. First of all, step one is there. 
you are powerless and your life is unmanageable. And if, if you continue to try to manage it in the, in, in where will it fit, you know, the disease will crop up. And two, you deserve this window. It's okay to ask for what you need. It's okay to say, listen, I, this is what, this is where I get to have my time with this God of my understanding. I've had to put my foot down with, with in certain, in certain aspects in my professional life at times, I've had to do it um, and just say, listen, I got to stand tall for myself and my recovery and my relationship with God here. And I didn't say it in those words, but you know, I I just, I, I put up boundaries around, okay, I need a window of time just for me and this relationship. I think the idea that I have to do all these things is the way the disease creeps in. No, what I have to do is maintain a conscious relationship with a power greater than myself so I don't die. That's what I have to do. And the rest of it is manageable and negotiable as a result if I'm willing to ask for the help that I need. That's all I have. I hope it was helpful. Thanks, Cynthia C. Christina J., your turn. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Patrick. Thank you for your incredible share. Um, You spoke to a lot of my issue in the very first question about transition. We're going through uh, moving halfway across the country transition as well. And Mm -hmm. uh, I moved many times in my life as a kid, too many times. Upset me deeply. But I started out in an area of the country when I was born that was very nurturing to my soul, and I've been living in that area of the country now for about 10 years. So I've gone through a lot of the transitions, uh, transition fears by surrendering them all to God, your will, not mine, be done. But last night came up the real the real deep sadness that I have to leave an area of the country that has nurtured me on deep, deep levels. And um, I've had many things in my life that have felt wrong inside of me because I'm attached to them. And in the end, God, God knew best. So I have all green lights in this particular thing. The resistance is inside myself. So um, if you can speak to that any further, in a, you know, that would be comforting and whatever. I did surrender most of it again this morning to God. Thy mm-hmm. will, I surrender to you, God. You know the way. If, you, if you're going to stop this, there'll be a red light. So, sure. um, yeah. So if you could speak to, to that on any more of a level than you did. Right I, I can I can certainly speak to it, and I'm happy to. The 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 my my main objection, my baseline resentment with my higher power is the fact that I don't get invited to the Revelation calendar meetings. Um, it 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 would appear that 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 the my higher powers uh, timeline for revealing to me the nature of any of my transitions is, is slightly different than the one I would have. What I like, what I am comforted by is predictability and certainty. And we live in a world of impermanence. And transition is simply, I see it as um, God moving me to have new experiences, to be exposed to new people, to share the joy, to be a demonstration. You know, the, the big book talks about being a more important demonstration of our, of our principles and our homes, occupations, and affairs. Um, maybe you're being moved to be a more important demonstration of these principles in someone's lives who's desperately seeking your help. What I have found is, is that these transitions are never about me. 
it's always about someone he would help me help. Um, and so it, 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 the resistance to the idea that it isn't supposed to be is, is my humanness. It's, it's okay to have it. Um, I just don't have to attach to it and I don't have to take any action based on that resistance. What I try to do with my resistance is wrap my arms around it and do just what you said you did this morning, turn it over, right? Um, resistance is a symptom of my illness, it, the way I see it in many ways. Resistance to that which I don't understand. You know, I always fear what I don't understand um, and I resent that with what, what I fear. So, and, and resentment's the number one offender. So I just see these things as, as, as my spiritual malady trying to get in the side door to some degree. But you have a practice that appears to have a lot of fidelity and commitment to it. I would trust it. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that uncertainty and resistance aren't a part of the path. They just are. We sometimes just have to exist with disturbance for long periods of time. Um, and and uh, I think it's part of the spiritual path. I do think that there's always someone who ends up in front of me asking questions that I can relate that experience to. It's not a coincidence that you and I are on this call. You're, you're transitioning halfway across the country. I'm considering it. You're presenting me with perspective of, yeah, I might hit a wall here and go, what am I doing? This is nuts. Um, so thank you for that. And, and um, I, I'm, my guess is, is that uh, more will be revealed, um, but like I said at the beginning of my answer, <laughs> my my basic resentment is I don't get invited to the board to God's board meeting where the decisions are made about what to reveal to Patrick when. So that's all I have. I hope it was helpful. Thanks, Christina J. Janice PM, your turn. Well, thank you, and good morning to you, Miss Leah and um, Patrick. My goodness, I've been on in this program for many, many 24 hours, and I never heard you, but I heard you loud and clear today, and it was just so inspiring. Um, my question um, is going to be about step 12. I heard something um, that you said to, today that that's really going to help me, and I, I will ask, I will give you the question in a minute. You said something about that you continue to read certain chapters mm -hmm. uh, once, a, once a month. Now, my, my question is a sponsoring question. Um, I know the importance, um, like you and everybody else, the importance of addressing the newcomer, which is first, you know, the, the step one. However, as a recovered, you know, there are many recovered compulsive overeaters, and I believe step 12, if I'm wrong, has a third part to it, which says um, that we practice, practice these, these steps in all our affairs. So the question is, when you sponsor, like I prefer to do, I prefer to go on to the chapters of the family afterwards mm. and the mm. employers because that is mm. part of the 12 step. Mm. So, um, and a lot of us want to go right back to, you know, they go to the big mm. review, which is, of course, wonderful. But then they, you know, the newcomer, the newcomer, yeah, but what about us, you know, the people that are recovered and, mm. um, you know. So I was wondering what you do. What is your practice? 
Well, I, I read from page one or from the preface to page 164 uh, with okay. anybody that I sponsor. And uh, so and so I include, you know, they're often called the lost chapters because people don't use them. But what is in those chapters is the experiential application of these principles in people's actual day-to-day -day lives. It's huge that that information is dispersed. You know, another example of that obviously is the 12 and 12. That's Bill's experience with these steps. Bill's, you know, Bill Wilson wrote that exclusively. The, the big book is an amalgamation of many of the members, the first hundred or so. Um, you know, Bill might have done some of the original manuscript, but there was, you know, contributions from afar all over that piece of text. Every piece in word of, of the first 164 pages of the big book and the stories are important in my view. That being said, the reason I work with working with others is, is, is because, yes, the focus is always on the newcomers. But it also helps remind me that, I, that there are people sitting in our rooms with untreated alcoholism. And by untreated alcoholism, what I mean is suffering from the spiritual malady, abstinent. They may have put the food down, but they have manifestations in other areas of your life, their lives. They, anger sprees, spending sprees, sex sprees, go down the list of ways that this malady can manifest in our lives that don't look like active addiction at the time. Um, and so the, I, I, I appreciate your perspective on this chapter because, and it's, I said, as I said in my previous answer, a more important demonstration of these principles in our homes, occupations, and affairs. I'm not just practicing this in here. You know, I sound great on these calls. I'm an eloquent speaker. I have vocabulary, and I don't mean to, you know, I, that's been reported to me. I, I was raised by an English literature teacher. I was taught to read at an early age. I have some advantages there. Um, you know, I can sound really, really good and act like a donkey the, the next 23 hours of the day. Um, so it is much about the actual practice in my life of these and that's where the accountability for me comes in. The reason I read this chapter, the, the chapter once a month, is just to remind me about how to practically approach each individual. And, and I will also say this. This text was written in 1939, and we have an evolution of experience that's highly valuable. But I'm a fundamentals guy. I, I believe if the basement bricks are in place, then the house you build on it will be solid. Um, and that house may look different today than it did in 1939, but I think the fundamental principles that are contained in working with others are applicable to people with two days of abstinence or 50 years of abstinence. Um, that's 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 my experience, and, and and I hope that was helpful. Thanks, Janice PM. Next question comes from Nancy M. Good morning. Um, um, I am fairly new to OA and a vision. Um, I, I hope I don't get emotional. I'm sorry. Um, your share was just so powerful for me. Um, and I'm in Florida, so I'm sitting here looking at the beauty and God's gifts all mm. around me, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. Anyway, um, I... 
I have two questions. Um, I was in another 12-step food fellowship for five years, and I lost all my weight, and I was never recovered. I never worked the steps. Um, I'm sorry. It wasn't a program. There was a lot of shame and beratement, and, you know, if you had a break, it was bad, 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 and, you know, there was no emphasis on God or the steps, and as you could probably hear, I, I'm sitting with a lot of resentment, and I, um, I'm so grateful on one hand. I think God directed me to this program, and mm-hmm. um, but I'm trying to let go of the resentment of the other program. That's one thing. I, I try and do a 10th step every evening, and I, I pray you know, for God to lift this resentment because I know it's not going to serve me in my recovery. But I also have very, very good friends that I have made in the other program, and I hear their suffering, and I hear them, um, you know, not knowing why they can't stop eating. And I don't know how to, um, you know, like you talked about that woman that came to you and was honest I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's my place to say something to them because I am not recovered. You know, I just started this journey here. Sure. And I, I just don't know what to do. If, if you could have sure. any words sure. with me. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I have. First of all, welcome. You're home. You're home. So welcome. Second, sponsorship is critical. Um, a responsible recovered member of, of Overeaters Anonymous to take you through this work as a as a guide, and as you know, the, the big book says, shoulder to shoulder we commenced upon our common journey. Um, we, we need somebody to walk with us. We can't walk this alone. I, you can read the book a thousand times and take the actions, and and you will you will achieve um, much of what the book says. But it, it is much enhanced by someone who has the experience. Um, and I would say that right now, the the focus for you and personal and, and not to give a guide advice here, but the guidance that I would that I would provide is, is take care of yourself and your own recovery. First, get clear on um, your relationship with a power greater than yourself. And then you will have the capacity and the bandwidth and the ability and the language to carry the message to the people that you care about. Um, the book is really pretty clear about you can't carry a message you don't have. And I'm not saying that that's the case for you. I think you have some experience you can share. But I think that having an experience with actually applying these principles and working these steps in your life is critical. Um, so my guidance here, my response would be, um, find a, if, if you don't already have a sponsor, find a responsible recovered member of Overeaters Anonymous to take you through this work, um, and, and have your experience and then begin to share that with the people that you care about. Um, one of the most insidious ways that this disease is, is attacking our, our, our fellowships is by making the actual working of the 12 steps um, 
uh, controversial or, or uh, you know, something that you do, you wait to do. Um, it's just not the case. We, we have to get into this spiritual work because our, our essential issue is the spiritual malady. It is not the food. The food is attempted a bad solution. Um, I wish food was my problem. I said it in my talk. I wish food was my problem because I'd have just put the food down and gone about my business. My problem starts when I put the food down. And that's probably part of what you're experiencing. So um, I hope that you will find some guidance. And I, my bet is, is if you called 15 or 20 people on this call today, get that, get on the website, get a, become a registered member, get that list of 9,000 human beings around the world, you will find someone to guide you through this work and you will begin to have an experience that you can share with many people. So I hope that was helpful. Thank you, Nancy M., for your question. And was there a Liz C., Liz C., that had a question? Star one to unmute. Perhaps not. All right. Well, thank you to those who did pose questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Patrick, for your time and all that you gave to us this morning. Such a powerful, thorough presentation packed in this morning. Greatly appreciate that. The presentation share ID for this morning, 17,731. That's one seven. Seven three one, And we'll close now from page 164. Of course, you know that it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. <laughs>